Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I was a high woman and a mother from my youth. For my children I did what I had to do. My family left Honduras when they killed the Sandinistas. We followed our coyote through the dust of Mexico. Every one of them except for me survived, and I am still alive. I was a healer. I was gifted as a girl. I laid hands upon the world. Someone saw me sleeping naked in the noon sun. I heard witchcraft in the whispers, and I knew my time had come. The bastards hung me at the Salem gallows hill, but I am living still. I was a freedom rider when we thought the South had won. Virginia in the spring of 61. I sat down on the Greyhound that was bound for Mississippi. My mother asked me if that ride was worth my life. And where the shots rang out, I never heard the sound. But I am still around. I'll take that ride again and again and again. My heart broke for all the world But teaching was righteous for a girl In the summer I was baptized in the mighty Colorado In the winter I heard the hounds and I knew I had been found And in my Savior's name I laid my weapons down But I am still around Sing a story still untold We carry the sons you can only hold We are the daughters of the silent generations You send our hearts to die alone in foreign nations They may return to us as tiny drops of rain But we will still remain And we'll come back again and again
Good afternoon, gentle listeners. Welcome to the Sewer Show on 3CR. End the rot, why not squat the, the lot? This is Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airwaves. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. Andy, we've got a big show today. Uh, we what, do. What's on the agenda? We're going to be speaking to journalist Belinda Hawkins, the author of Every Parent's Nightmare, about the Jock Palfreyman case. Welcome to 3CR, Belinda. Thank you, and thank you for having me. To begin with, would you be able to provide for the listener a brief synopsis of the case? Who is Jock Palfreyman and uh, what is his situation? Uh, Jock Palfreyman was 21 when he found himself in a country he'd fallen in love with as a backpacker. Um, It was uh, two days after Christmas and he came down from a village with some friends where he'd been staying uh, for Christmas, and came to the came into the downtown capital city called Sofia, and at about one in the morning on the 28th of December 2007, uh, he and some friends were uh, out near a square. They were buying possibly some cigarettes and credit for a mobile phone, and they heard uh, chanting and noise coming from the subway. They were with a Bulgarian who said, "Let's get away." Uh, those sounds like. Uh, football hooligans, and so they ran across um, a, the nearby street and got out of the square. And then then um, the uh, people coming from the subway proceeded and crossed the square, um, presumably still chanting, but, but certainly crossed the square. And at a certain point, by the traffic lights in full view uh, of Jock, who was sort of half hiding but half watching, he saw what seemed to be something of a verbal altercation, um, and then uh, saw people double, a, a couple of people double back and follow a man he thought was a Roma or what is often called a gypsy, um, who was then then joined by a second. There seemed to be more of a scuffle. And then there was this almighty chase on after one of the Roma. And then he, spontaneously, if you like, uh, seeing this Roma man in trouble ran across the square and intervened. Um, uh, Independent witnesses across the street at the big hotel there, car park attendants, um, were worried they saw this foreigner who seemed to be in trouble and then they saw him uh, from down on the ground stand up um, holding a knife in the air shouting, get away, get away in Bulgaria. So that that worried them Um, and... Jock describes that as this brutal attack on a Roma and he intervened and brought out a knife thinking that that would frighten him away. The melee continued um, at a certain point. uh, uh, He was knocked to the ground by the bits of pavement. Uh, The group was throwing at him. He was turning around and around in a circle to try to keep a safety force, a safety field around him. And... um, uh, is, but having been knocked in the head, he really doesn't really remember anything more, which is quite key to me when I started my research, or, or but halfway through my research. And the next thing is he's calling out for help from police, um, puts himself on the ground when some security guards come, sees this knife in front of him that's got blood on it, and thinks, oh, my God, what has happened? And in truth, there's a 20-year-old law student uh, on a pavement not far away, uh, bleeding to death, and an ambulance has been called. He died on the way to hospital. Jock was arrested uh, soon after, and he's been incarcerated 
until really just um, uh, just a, about a week ago. And now he's in this bizarre limbo position where he's been granted parole. Uh, a Bulgarian court has told him he's a model prisoner, effectively, so he can he's well overdue for parole. He's he's got parole, but the condition of parole is that he must leave Bulgaria, and that uh, caused an uproar. Um, and now the probably the most powerful man in the country, uh, uh, the prosecutor general, has uh, appealed bizarrely to a higher court, even though parole the parole decision was final, to have that decision interrogated to have it looked into and the interior ministry so the police have come up with a travel ban that only applies to people in prison now jock since parole has not been in prison so this travel ban shouldn't apply he was in a he was in a um an immigration detention center the sort of thing we know all too well in australia and that was becoming embarrassing because he had his passport there was no reason it was illegal for him to still be there so now the authorities have released him to stay with a friend, but he's still illegally in Bulgaria. He doesn't have a passport on him, so he could be stopped at any moment. And he, this, they're still arguing over whether this travel ban and saying they have to wait for the higher court to decide things. Uh, so it's become a whole different story now. It's now a story not about jock people who would have thought of him as a monster, um, are concerned about his case because it's now a situation of uh, even ordinary Bulgarians can see they would be affected. That if this case, if he continues to be incarcerated, then it could happen to any of them. The rules, the rule book has been thrown out the window and it's effective anarchy. People are doing, authorities are doing whatever they want uh, in order to fulfil this desire to keep him in prison. And so is there any indication at this stage of... I understand that a decision has been reserved by the courts and that'll be rendered sometime in the next month or two. Is there any indication at this stage of which way, what they might decide, given these are weighty legal issues? Uh, well, that court doesn't have to look at anything like travel bans and that's a court of administration that would do that. The court that... Had a hearing day and listened to the prosecutor and all that he had to say. Listened to Jock's lawyer and all that he had to say. It has to decide whether this this unprecedented approach by the prosecutor general to have a absolutely final decision questioned, whether that there's any merit in questioning it. Um, and when I was in Bulgaria, I just came back from Bulgaria about ten days ago. And, I was astonished there by the level of disquiet among prosecutors, judges and lawyers, not to mention, you know, the random people you talk to in the street, um, that this um, unprecedented move at, at reopening a finalised case, that it's happened, that it's outside their law. Um, if... if Judge the one of the people on the union of judges, which got uh, more than three hundred judges signing a letter uh, saying decrying this whole set of events. Um, this uh, board member, so a judge, said if this if this court passes, you know the the request to have the case interrogated, there will never be a panel of judges ever 
for anybody, a parole panel of, a parole panel of judges, um, who will who will look at a case that's in any way controversial. Uh, they will just say no. It's not worth their while because the panel of judges who granted Jock parole has been vilified in a way that Bulgarians haven't seen for at least a very long time, if ever. Their children have been vilified at school. Their wives or their husbands have been vilified. Uh, there have been big posters put up, you know, death to the head judge of that panel. Um, and, and what's at the bottom of it, it seems to me, and certainly that's what Bulgarian experts were saying, is a battle royal between the people, the judges, lawyers, prosecutors, with politicians even, who want to see Bulgaria's judicial system reformed in line with European Union expectations. And on the other hand, those for whom uh, it's in their interests not to see it reformed, for it to grind along in the kind of just post-communist, transitional, uh, ad hoc basis almost, where um, business and political interests can be served well uh, by a word in the ear of a judge or a prosecutor. Um, and that's what this is really all about. So Jock has become a lightning rod for a debate that's already been raging in this country. It just happens now that his case is bizarrely, someone from the other side of the world, is the is the focal point for those who don't want change and those who do want change. Um, am I right in thinking that at the moment there are elections due in Bulgaria? Yes. Um, the uh, There is a so-called election for the Prosecutor-General who has served seven years, so seven years is his sentence. Uh, and I think that is tomorrow Bulgarian time, possibly today, tonight, our time. Um, and on the weekend, there are municipal elections, so local elections across the country. And there, there is also a sense that people want to play hardball until after the election. But possibly the court, which is looking at this bizarre request won't deliver its findings until after this weekend when the final election is, um, so that it's not caught up in that kind of, you know, politicking that goes on during an election period. So the, the Prosecutor-General who's brought this legal action is seeking re-election? No, uh, he's not seeking re-election. And what really enrages Bulgarians is that he has, in effect, he has, in effect, anointed his successor, the man who was his deputy, and it's who, who didn't go to university. He did his law degree in the police academy. Uh, he, was, he came out of police rather than out of a lawyer, academic kind of background. Uh, and it's thought that he's even more hardline non-reformist than the current prosecutor-general. So... Overnight, there was a protest, a huge protest in the city about what's going to be effectively his reappointment because there is no-one else running. Oh. It's an election with only one person in it. Um, so there was a protest last night in our time and some 10 days ago, 12 days ago when I was there, there was also a protest. So what you feel in Bulgaria is, of course, people in the villages and, you know, probably... a a big section of the population doesn't really care what happens so long as they earn their living and can catch the bus and so forth. 
same as in any country, but there is a very vocal and varied uh, group of Bulgarians who are horrified by different levels of what this saga has thrown up. And one of them is the, um, is the monarchy that seems to have become, you know, in place for the prosecutor-general's role. So that makes people also afraid that he can, he can see somebody charged at a whim on very little evidence if that person proves difficult to his business mates, his political mates, or to him. Um, and that there's not, an, there's not a, a real election taking place. It's a one-horse race. So in terms of the, I guess, um, various issues there are to do with uh, the Bulgarian criminal justice system and its ability to conform to EU standards, um, is that... Uh, what do you think is the future of the relations between Bulgaria, <clears throat> excuse me, and the EU... Um, is do you think it's if there is a political battle going on to reform the system? Is your feeling that those reformist elements are um, increasing in popularity, or what do you see as being the kind of I guess uh, the future of the, these attempts to bring standards within Bulgaria uh, to to um, in accord with those of the EU? And, well, and what does it? Yeah. There are two... Look, there are several things going on here. Um, on the one hand, there's a part of the population that doesn't want... So, just to back that up a bit, Bulgaria became a member state, so a member was granted member status, uh, in 2007. So, the earlier in the year that Jock Polferman was arrested. But as a precondition of that, uh, because Europe recognised it had a faltering and, and faulty justice system... As well as you know, roads and health and various other things, um, having come out of uh, out of uh, being a communist state and and gone through that that transition period, which we've seen so much in Eastern Europe, which sees the evolution of oligarchies and so forth, uh, rather than you know real state-run health systems. Um, so the Europe said, OK, we'll make you a member state, but we want to maintain a monitoring system and we'll report twice a year on your progress towards meeting the standards, if you like, of a European member state. And there was lots of criticism by this monitoring early on. And just yesterday, today I read, so yesterday Bulgarian time, uh, the monitoring um, system came out with its latest report, which was anticipated, but which is, you know, another thing that's caught Jock in this kind of crossfire. And it said, well, you're doing very well, and we think that you don't need really monitoring, but we're not lifting it until Europe, you know, until various committees and so forth have, have examined our report. Now, when I was in Bulgaria, several Bulgarian journalists just almost were in tears saying they were so fearful that this monitoring report would come out and say, yes, Europe didn't need to be involved uh, on the ground anymore. And that's, it's just about, except for ticking a box, you know, dotting an I, um, it's just as good as done that. So that's a problem. On the other hand, for those Bulgarians, 
Beringerians who are desperately nationalistic, this is a time to celebrate because it's been like an absolute stain on their national pride to have Europe peering over their back fence saying, tisk tisk, you know, this isn't good enough, this, that isn't good enough. So there'll be a lot of cheering when this is lifted. Reformist people who want to see a more modern you might say, less corrupt, less less swayed by vested interests, Bulgaria, uh, they will be devastated because it's only Europe keeping an eye on things that really has given any reform momentum. Um, however, the current thing that's going on with Jock should concern still Europe, even if it thinks everything else is well on its way to it being reformed, because to be a member state... You have to adhere to the laws of your country. And what's argued strenuously now is that Bulgaria is not adhering to its own laws, that the prosecutor general is not adhering to to the to, you know, to to the to the mandate that an appeal court is final, uh, that he's been illegally detained in a detention centre, uh, that that a travel ban is being cited, but it's a travel ban that applies only to convicts, to people in prisons, and he's now on parole, so he's not a convict. Um, so it's possible that Europe will censor uh, Bulgaria for, again, bizarrely, not for all the myriad of other things that have gone wrong, but for this, what's happened to this Australian. Um, one of the reasons I ask about the EU is because I've noticed in... A lot of commentary, especially in Australia, on Jock's case in particular, there's appeals to the Australian government to intervene more effectively, I suppose, or more vigorously on Jock's behalf. And yet it's also, I think, it, it may be not clearly understood that Australian, the Australian government has relatively little uh, influence within uh, Bulgaria. So therefore one of the only ways in which the Australian government, should it choose to do so, to, to exercise diplomatic and other forms of pressure would be uh, through the EU. So mm. can, can you comment on that situation? Yes. Um, late last week, I think it was, um, Foreign Minister Maurice Payne uh, answered a series of Dorothy Dixes in the Senate uh, and said, we in, in a story that I recently put to air, it was one of the end captions, and said that uh, that uh, various... Uh, sorry, that DFAT and the Australian government, effectively, um, had had asked the European Commission, it happens to be, uh, to intervene on the basis that Bulgaria, it seems, is not following its own laws. So, yes, Australia has put that request in. Um, and, I mean, many will say, finally, <laughs> finally. But... Uh, it also has to be said that this is, you know, Jock Polferman and I think his family feel that for many years uh, they had to really push DFAT to do anything. And, of course, DFAT is under-resourced and no longer is required to do all the things that many times people expect would happen if they're in trouble abroad. Um, but I think there are concerns with perhaps the naivety that DFAT approached his case. But in this, at this particular moment, uh, they have rallied. Uh, they, uh, for example, had private talks with the Interior Ministry, the Interior Ministry, sorry, the Foreign Ministry, the Foreign Ministry 
put out a, effectively a statement or a press release um, giving an absolute, according to the Australian government, um, um, misconstrual of the conversation they had. So among all the other combustive things that are going on in Jock's parole, uh, post-parole period, there's also been, um, you know, state versus state, uh, Sofia versus Canberra situation in play. And, Ca and Canberra is doing an awful lot more, it seems to me, and I think it would seem to the family, whether it's perfect, whether it still has uh, a level of naivety attached in terms of how to deal with Bulgarians, that's another matter, but they're acting more. Before, people, human rights people, lawyers, prosecutors, um, uh, people involved with Europe, kept saying to me over the eight, nine, ten years I've been following this, where is your country? It gives Bulgaria the absolute go-ahead to do whatever it wants that Australia seems to be missing in action. It's as though they don't care about their own citizens, so why should we bother to follow to, to, to follow due process or to care about him either? And I, I have thought that's been a problem. That's not to say that there haven't been fabulous defect staff. I, can, I think Jock would say uh, that there have, and in my experience there have. Um, but as an overhaul, overall push, um, perhaps been a bit lacking. You are listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and on your DAB radio at 3CR Digital. We are currently talking to Belinda Hawkins, a journalist, about the Jock Palfreman case. You, as you said, you've been following a case for many years. You've published a book on Jock's case, uh, produced a number of stories for the ABC about it. Um, it, it's been a while, and one of the things, I guess, that struck me um, in the recent period, certainly since he was um, won his parole, is there seems to be a lot more attention within Australia on his case and a lot more uh, people expressing sympathy and support. Um, what, what can you say about, I guess, the last 10 years and how you think the case has been... Both the, how the case has developed, but also the, I guess, reportage on the case and mm. what's your feeling of the, um, I guess, popular sentiment in Australia and in Bulgaria? How has that changed, if it has, over time? I'm not sure that popular sentiment in Australia has changed. I think that people follow, people follow big gear shifts in news and when Paul Freeman was granted parole... That provoked a lot of interest all of a sudden after years of no one being interested uh, because because I think in my heart of hearts people people aren't much interested in someone well you know he's been found guilty maybe he's guilty just move on you know the the, the tide of what you're interested you know washes over this case of Polferman that might have been uh, might have been convicted uh, wrongly. But um, when a parole court said, um, you know, you, your time in Bulgaria is finished, you must leave now, you're, you know, you're paroled, uh, people, uh, many, every station, every television station certainly, uh, sent people to Sofia um, and it became a story. Uh, has, it, has it changed people's opinion of the original conviction? 
I'm not sure that it has in Australia. Um, certainly it's changed people's sense of, you know, what's, what's going on in Bulgaria and people, although they find it confusing, would say this is not right. Even Bulgarians say it's not right. In Bulgaria, though, again, you know, one doesn't know what the broad population is. I've never seen a, I've never seen a, uh, you know, a, um, I've never seen somebody go around and question the whole population in any, any sense. But my reading on the ground in Sofia and probably among the chattering classes um, is that there's been a change in attitude towards Jock's conviction as well. There's outrage over what's happening now with his parole because that people feel that affects them as well and their safety and their, you know, what would happen to them if they ever got into a situation. Um, but I think um, that he's gone, as he has said to a journalist, he's gone from being a monster to being a folk hero. And in part that's to do with people now questioning lawyers, prosecutors, um, questioning and people on the street and, and media questioning his original conviction. That's come about because people aligned with Jock, uh, well, Jock's lawyer got hold of CCTV footage, the only that CCTV footage set of CCTV cameras that uh, that uh, survived the investigation, original investigation, and his, and probably Jock's lawyer, but anyway, certainly people associated with them uh, put it on YouTube. Um, and I have to warn anyone wanting to rush off and look at it um, that it's very hard to follow. If you don't know, if, if you haven't... I mean, in my book, I unpacked that footage because I saw it in 2012, and I unpacked it against witness statements, what was said in court, uh, what what independent witnesses were saying, what Jock was saying, uh, what people were wearing, uh, what people dropped, things like that, and I pieced it together that way. But when you look at it cold, it's a lot of blurry figures often doing nothing much in particular, and so blurry you can't even tell what they're not doing. Um, but it's telling footage, and and people uh, associated with Polferman put out an annotated version of it, which was much more helpful for them, but that was in Cyrillic, so I suppose that doesn't really help English-speaking people. Very quickly, the other side, uh, people associated or, or, or um, sympathetic to the young man who died, put out the same footage... Uh, with writing, I must say, all over some of the key moments in it, however hard it is to see them. And it basically... I, I watched that and had it translated, fascinated to see how they would explain this footage and how they would continue to say that Jock had not been provoked. Um, and they say, look at his haircut and look at uh, look at a badge that he's wearing. Um, he's an anarchist. He's a, you know, he's a bad boy. It's a, it was a Lindy Chamberlain reaction. Mm. Um that leads me to my next question. Well, it's actually twofold. One is that it's not, um, I guess, what might otherwise be regarded as a, a straightforward murder case. There's a political dimension, and that political dimension enters into the case on the one hand um, because Jock was coming to the assistance of um, Roma, um, who constitute, a, as I understand it, a despised minority within Bulgaria. And also there's there's a question over both what occurred on the night and who was responsible and the subsequent uh, political and other campaigning around the case um, in terms of the presence or the influence of the far right in Bulgaria 
And it seems to me that, I mean, the general political circumstances have changed somewhat over the past 10 years where I think most people would agree, for example, that there is a, a far right within Europe and Eastern Europe, that it's uh, re-emerging um, with some mm. vigour. And along with that, there has been, a, you know, various forms of opposition opposition to it. And when Jock is described as um, an anarchist or a, a communist or a, an anti-fascist or something of that sort of the left, it points to there being other kinds of political battles that are going on in Bulgaria mm. and elsewhere. So my question is, on the one hand, can you comment on uh, the situation of the Roma in Bulgaria and anti-Roma sentiment? And on the other, how does this case and how is it read in terms of the battle between uh, the far right and the far left and those sorts of political questions? Mm. Well, um, ever since I uh, started going to Bulgaria in early 2009, uh, and I've written about uh, this as well, the uh, you know it's clear to anyone who walks into the country that... Um, uh, that Roma are poor, uh, are vilified. Um, uh, there's a fear that of them as pickpockets, which you know may be valid, may may not be valid always. Um, it's an extreme. I mean, it's a bit. It's akin to often how Australians perhaps view Indigenous people. I mean, I hate hate to say that, uh, or Sudanese people. Um, but it's it's in, it's been it's entrenched it's been entrenched for years and years and years decades and centuries so uh, so it's um, it's a very strong view. I remember going to you know and I write about this in my book going to talk to the bail judge from when soon after Jock was arrested, and she said you know absolutely on the record she said um, you know and he was saying he went to. You know, his, his, his defence is ridiculous. His, his version of events is ridiculous. You know, for example, he said he was going to defend a Roma. Who goes to defend a Roma? That's, that, that, there is that attitude in that country, um, and as there would be possibly in other countries. So, yes, uh, when Jock was arrested, he was A, a foreigner, B, um, there was a young Bulgarian dead, um, uh, see that young Bulgarian came from a respected family, um, and D, uh, his argument was that a Roma was being attacked, and he went to the assistance of it. Well, that's a very bad combination of of, of things. The foreigners are suspected. Um, uh, a respected a respected family is just that. It's respected. A young Bulgarian being killed by a foreigner is loathed. And and any talk that someone would be going to defend a Roma is just you know ridiculous. And uh, uh, so I think that's you know the, the, all those things set up what was going to be a you know a very difficult um, trial. That's for sure. In terms of a political playout, yes, we've seen you know just recently uh, the ultras um, in uh, the Levski football. Team, uh, you know, doing Nazi gestures, um, playing against England, and they've been heavily censored for that. So there is an, an absolute extremist element, uh, certainly in the ultra section of football teams, the two teams they have, uh, certainly in Levski, 
not among all not among all football fans. It, it is wrong to refer to football fans as though that's some sort of blanket criticism. But in this extreme end of it, um, and and at the moment the uh, government is in power uh, because of help from a far right group whose initials are V R V for Victory R M O. The Deputy Justice Minister is in that far-right party. The Deputy Justice Minister is in charge of prisons, and he has had it, I think it's pretty well accepted, he has had it in for Jock for some time. In large part, I think because, what's something that we haven't talked about, because of this first ever convicted prisoners' union that Jock set up with you know, the assistance of some other convicted prisoners. And, and Europe has listened to the union that he set up and has spoken to him. Uh, reformist, there was a, for a while a reformist element within the government. Uh, they came and sought his views out on, on the need for prison reform. So, of course, to this far-right Deputy Justice Minister, he's, the, he's an absolute thorn in the side. Mm. Uh, it's, he has been described as a model prisoner, but he does seem like he's the most annoying prisoner ever. Uh, yeah, the, the judges don't call him a model prisoner. That's like a that's like a summary of what the judges were saying. And so I use that term, but it's certainly not what the judges actually said. Okay. I don't use that term because it seems like you, you might want to parole him just to get him out of out of the system. Who knows what was what the judges exactly were looking at? But um, in July, Jock applied for parole consideration, and uh, the court uh, dismissed that application, and. The um, prison authorities and the prosecutor said he's not reformed, he still has a long way to go, he's still, you know, doing bad things. When it came to the appeal, it was a different uh, panel of judges and they threw this list of so-called misdemeanours out the window and said, look at how he has helped other prisoners which he, through his union he and, and separately he he, meant, he certainly has. There's no disputing that. Um, look at his, you know, look at the way he deals with people, uh, even in non-union related matters. Um, he has he has done all that he needs to do to satisfy, uh, to qualify for parole, and therefore we give him parole. There's no reason not to. We, that's what they said. We said there's no reason not to. And he doesn't need to come and check into a police station every week. He doesn't need to, uh, you know, put up money to, you know, to, to make sure that he does go to a police station. And there weren't those sorts of conditions that we often associate with parole. He, the only condition was he must leave the country and he must not come back for five years. And while he's away... He must not kill any Bulgarians. They can kill everybody else. They can't kill Bulgarians. <laughs> um, and that's being absolutely flippant. But it was it was a it was a convincing win for him. A very convincing win. That does remind me, Belinda. Um, when Jock was uh, sentenced, he received a custodial sentence. But there was also the courts imposed a fine um, upon him. Can you talk a little uh, bit about? Well, Yes, the um, well because uh, when during Jock's during Jock's criminal trial, uh, and it's the you know the trial was run with the inquisitorial system. For anybody who knows about that, their inquisitorial system is a crossover between the French and you know with bits of Russian hangover in it. Anyway, in Bulgaria, 
as in other some other countries, you can run a civil case, so a case for damages, concurrent at the very same moment in the same courtroom as the as the criminal case is running. That caused the defence all sorts of problems, uh, but at the end of the criminal case, the judge who's listening to both, you know, he has to decide on damages and on guilty or innocent. Uh, yes, he he awarded damages to. Uh, each of the parents of the dead young man and to a man who was injured. Um, every year that money, that amount goes up. He also, he also, there were also court fees that, that Jock was required to pay. Every year the amount went up. At a certain point, though, I think at 10 years, uh, the court, the, the need to pay the court fees was annulled. It just runs out, it expires. Uh, um, but the damages conceivably, were still accruing. And and people have variously estimated that to be now worth around between $800,000 and a million dollars. The parole, uh, the appeal parole court, so the one that granted him parole, uh, one of the things they absolutely stipulated was that uh, Jock has been a prisoner for the last almost 12 years. He hasn't had the capacity to earn an income. He can't possibly be expected to have this amount of money. When he did have money, and that's another story, uh, it, that money went to one of the uh, civil claimants, one of the victims, and that shows that uh, he was always willing to pay the money. But we are not going to make payment of uh, the damages awarded against him um, a condition of him leaving the country, a condition of parole. So he does not, and this has to be, I, I can't stress it enough, because people get slightly, I think, confused talking about, you know, what they call blood money, um, compensation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he does not, the court mandated that he is not required to pay that in order to be paroled or, and in order to leave the country. So there's nothing he has to pay. Okay, so it would not be grounds upon which he could this this court that's currently considering his case would be able to remember it. Yeah. it. It should not be grounds, but this is we are now in a in a, a, a in a period of you know of complete disregard for what is normal practice, what is the rule of law. Uh, anyone can say anything now, and are. So who knows? But, but according to the law, the appeal court is the one that has the final say, and they said that the um, that that money is not required to be paid uh, before he leaves. It wasn't really clear whether it was ever required to be paid, uh, but um, importantly, it wasn't to be an impediment to him leaving. It wasn't to impede his leaving. Plinder, I was just curious, you mentioned the Levski-Halls controversy that's uh, been happening quite recently, just before. Has that uh, the, that incident happening and sort of the response to it within the football community, is that playing out as part of a sideline culture war here with Jock's case? Is that having any effect on the discourse? I, I um, there is always, there is, since, since uh, several days after... Andre Monoff died, uh, certainly evident at, his, uh, at a protest rally that his parents led uh, not long after he died. Um, 
there and 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 seen in football matches and banners and flares sent uh, the ultra sector of Levski has backed Andrei Monov to the hilt and so has demonised Polferman. That's absolutely been apparent to me. Um, and the argument that people have is whether or not every member, any of the group that night, were signed up ultra-members or whether they were Levski members who flirted with the ultra, with ultras and certainly were racist and were, were mounting a racist attack. Um, it was not a cohesive group. They weren't all coming. They were coming from a restaurant, but they weren't all, so the witness statements said anyway, they weren't all mates, you know, through a certain thing. They were brothers of mates and that kind of business. They weren't all football supporters, according to their witness statements. Uh, so, but one thing became very clear during my research, and that is that one of them, who's very evident in the CCTV, just coming out of the metro, uh, one of the um, friends of Andre Monoff was arrested several years after all of Jock's court procedures had finished, arrested and charged with the most horrendous beating of on a tram, I think it's called Tram 22, going out to the detention centre, the very detention centre Jock illegally spent a month in. Um, and it, uh, it, uh, a group of men got onto this tram where protest was going out. Protesters were going to protest the rights of, of you know, asylum seekers and people in the detention centre. And these protesters were beaten within an inch of their life. And one of the perpetrators was charged with, you know, with this horrendous, horrendous crime. And, and he, you know, I saw television stories where he faced court, but it seems to me that the, that the sent that conviction or, or lack of conviction, that that court, that that case is still just hanging, as though there hasn't been enough time to have hearings on it. But I've yet to get to the bottom of that. But that is an indicator, absolutely, that am at least among that group, there were brutal brutal um, racist attackers who some might call neo-Nazis. It's not to say there's not evidence for my money that you could describe the group as such, though. OK. Well, thanks for um, joining us, Belinda. There's obviously uh, further developments to come. I assume you're going to be keeping an eye on the story and um, keeping everyone updated as to what's going on? Yes, and um, and you um, in particular, well, you you were the first journalist, I think, in all of Australia to start taking the case seriously. So it's been a long journey for you as well. It certainly has. Um, so, well, thanks for joining us, Belinda. Not at all. Speak again. That was Belinda Hawkins there talking about Jock Palfreyman. You're listening to the Sewer Show on 3CR 855 AM. Uh, Andy, uh, we've got a few things to plug. Mm -hmm. Firstly, uh, we did mention it before, but uh, Belinda's book, Every Parent's Nightmare, is available in bookstores still. It um, is, I and there's a dedicated website, uh, com, which provides all sorts of further details about the book. And I understand it's even been adopted by some legal studies classes to examine in Victoria and elsewhere. There is also a benefit gig 
coming up. There is. Where will that be and when? That will be held at Cafe Gummo in High Street in Northcote. Lovely on, cafe. It is. Um, lovely people. Um, and that's being held on November the 7th, Thursday, November 7, and will feature amazing performers. And you may be able to, uh, we refer to the uh, union that Jock helped establish in Bulgaria. There will, will also be merchandise produced by and for the union available for purchase on the evening. All right. Well, Andy, the Mafalda program is up next, so we are out of here. We are. Hooroo. See you later.
needs a little bit of help. Nothing ever burns down by itself. Every fire needs a little bit of help. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.